What I want to do in this talk is just talk a little bit more about how we can, what we can, the kind of help we can expect from the Lord in a time of trial. I do think we're going to stay in this time of trial. I think we're going to stay in this time of purification. One of the things I pray, I prayed it in the hotel last night at 3.15 in the morning was, Lord, uh, as I went through the list of people, you know, I woke up and did a little nightly routine, a little monastic window there in the middle of the night, um, laid down, and I, one of the things I pray is, Lord, I begin with Pope Francis, you know, I pray for the bishops in, the, in, the, in, in Rome and all the bishops across the world. I mean, I also pray for my family and our ministry and everything else. But what I say in the larger pictures, I say, Lord, let your judgments come. Lord, send your judgments because you're a good judge. And we need you now. We need your help. And, and I want to pray into it and say, Lord, I'd rather not have anything, but if your judgments are going to lead to greater love, greater loyalty, greater conversion, greater unity in the church, ultimately bring it on, Lord, bring it on. If it's going to get us in a place where we're purified more to be able to actually love a world that's desperately in need of love, we can be greater conduits of God's grace. May it be so. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is... Uh, I think it was Cardinal Ratzinger said at one time when he talked about mission and evangelization. He said, Jesus acquired um, souls by night and he harvested them by day. He said, because he, he got them through prayer. And what we need to do is pray and what we pray for conversion and the salvation of souls. I'm sure you guys already do that. And not just for our family, but that's a good place to be, but even beyond that. But you have to remember that the Spirit of God moves at different times and different ways in history. When I've talked to Ralph Martin and some of the early leaders in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal that were right there at kind of the beginning of things, Ralph wrote the Life of the Spirit seminar in response to what was going on. So he's been there since, you know, he got baptized in his Holy Spirit in 65, actually, 64. In 64, his last year at Notre Dame. But anyway, he said, man, when, when, it, when it started moving, we could not keep up with it. When God was moving, when he said, now is the time, the grace started going. And he said, we were on campus at university, students would just walk in off the street. They'd walk in off the street, the Lord would touch them. They'd walk in, in those days, they didn't have a Life in the Spirit seminar or anything like that. They'd come in, they'd have a thousand kids at a prayer meeting. And they said, anybody here for the first time? Yes, would you like to be baptized? Yeah, whatever they got, I want, you know? And they said, come over here in the corner, over here, and then they'd pray over them. And I know all kinds of people still living in Ann Arbor who had that experience back then because the movement was just, the Lord just, boom. He, and so he moves and hearts open, okay? And so we've been living through a time of decline that the Lord's permitting to happen. You know, one of the things that's happening is a, you know, back to John 15, the Father's the vine dresser, Jesus the vine we talked about. But one of the things that, that there's two realities going on. The vine dresser, what does the vine dresser do? Jesus said the vine dresser cuts off dead wood. And he also prunes good, you know, prunes vital vines so that they can produce even more. So the Lord is doing some pruning, but he's also doing some cutting off. What's happening, I think, is that part of the apostasy that's happening and people moving away from the church is the father's permitting it to happen because people who are not really Christian shouldn't think they're Christian you know what I mean and so he's people just because people are baptized if they don't actually believe it and they're not living it and they just go they're Christers they go on Christmas and Easter 
<laughs> and they feel like, you know, I'm fine where I am and all that. And they're not alive at all in their faith. They're not connected to mission. They're not really serious about prayer. They're just living their life. That what it does is it creates, it creates a big um, Laodicean reality in the church. Remember what Laodicean reality is? Remember the, one of the seven churches in Laodicea? What was wrong with that church? It was lukewarm. And Jesus said, you're no good to me. He said, I, you make me sick, I'll spit you, I'll vomit you out of my mouth, he said to that church. That was what the Spirit was saying to that particular church. He said some very good things about it, but he also said, look, if, you know, essentially saying you're made for love, you're made to be all in, you're a disciple, a disciple, my life is no longer my own, my life belongs to him, I seek to please him. When the church is lukewarm, that means her salt is flat and her light goes dim. What does he say about that? Jesus said, yeah, it's good for one thing, to be thrown out and stomped underfoot. Jesus said, if you're lukewarm and your salt is flat, you're no good to me. You know, in terms of, that's not the kingdom life. The kingdom life is a life animated by the Spirit, alive and empowered in the grace of Pentecost, and you're alive in your faith, faith and you're living as a disciple then you're light, then you can actually reach out. I've been, I've been in many places around the world and our teams, and I'm telling you, everywhere I go, the people who are doing uh, real evangelization in different parts of the world, like really helping people come to Christ, high level of sacrificial outreach and mission, almost all of them, whether they were in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal or not, they're like renewed in the spirit. They're alive and they read the scriptures and they believe it, you know? So I remember I was in uh, Kenya, no, I was in, yeah, I was in Kenya, give a retreat to priests. And one of the things I was teaching on was uh, the documents on evangelization, Evangelii Nutiandi and Redemptoris Missio, Paul VI, Evangelii Nutiandi, Evangelization in the Modern World, and John Paul II, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, yeah, the Redeemer, what did I just say it was? Come on, Pete, you're getting old, come on, kiddo. Uh, it'll come back to me, Mission of the Redeemer, Mission of the Redeemer. And so <clears throat> we got done, and I asked all the priests who were there, I said, how many of you ever read Evangelii Nuntiani? There were like 400 priests there. And you know, like 70 of them raised their hand, you know? And it's one of the key documents on evangelization. So later that, a uh, couple days later, we were in, in uh, Nairobi, and there was an outdoor rally, a big Pentecostal outdoor rally. I'd heard the music, and I was with my host. I said, let's go see what's going on over there. So we go, and it turns out this host is a local leader. He actually knew one of the guys who was on the stage, and they were just wrapping up this big crusade. There were thousands and thousands of people there, and he went. The guy came down, and we, they got in a conversation. He had all his books in his arm, and he was a Pentecostal, and he had his Bible I could see, and I'm just kind of listening to them talk, and I look, and I thought, oh my gosh. That guy's got a copy of Evangelii Nuntiandi. <laughs> and I said, and I, I said, hey, are you Catholic? He said, no. He said, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal. I said, that, a pope wrote that letter right there. And he goes, oh yeah, it's really good. <laughs> he said, we have all our people read it. All their leaders have to read it. And I thought, I just came from a place where, you know, Catholic leaders never read it. And you guys are reading it. You know, it's like, hello, you know. But they were so passionate about the Great Commission, they just, that just helped fuel them, you know, to inform them and encourage them, that kind of thing. So it's really, it's, it's critical to be able to see uh, what this, again, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and to be in a position to step into the things that the Lord is setting his priority on. Amen? Amen. All right, I want to, I'll just read a little bit from St. Peter and the book of Revelation first. Uh, I'm gonna go to the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So, we, are, we know we're in a time of trial and testing. 
We know the Lord has set a time of tribulation, darkness, purification is coming on the church and a time of great glory for the church. And so there, I'm, I totally believe uh, there is going to be a time, uh, it isn't here yet, I do believe there's gonna be a time in my lifetime that I'm gonna see a move of God larger than the beginning of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. I mean, I think we're gonna see, a, we're gonna see a revelation of God's glory. How do I know that? One, lots of people have said it, in the prophetic words, uh, in 1990, just as Ralph Martin and I were coming together, we, came, we were at a meeting in Ann Arbor with people in the, our charismatic community who had responsibility for schools or, or working with kids. So the principal, you know, the youth kid, junior high, the high school, and Debbie and I were there. And uh, <clears throat> we hadn't met all summer. We sat down in a meeting in Ken, uh, Ken Wilson. He was one of the coordinators of the community, his office, and we're sitting there. Gonna get started on the meeting. And uh, Ralph was chairing that meeting, and um, Ken says, hey, Ralph, before you get started, tell these guys what happened when you were with John Wimber recently. And Ralph goes, no, 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 that's no, all right, let's just get to work, you know. He goes, no, no, tell them, show them, you know. And it turns out he was at a conference of leaders in California, and there was a prophetic word that came, a word of knowledge in the context of this meeting was given to Ralph in the middle, he was a guest at this meeting, and um, they had it on tape. And Ken said, I'll get a cassette player. Well, remember cassette players? Yeah, 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 we would still have them. And, and they plugged it in and hit the button. And I'm just sitting there next to Debbie, and we're sitting around listening, and the word comes to Ralph. And as, as the guy's prophesying to Ralph, the Spirit of God comes on me. And I just, I'm sitting there in my chair, and I just start shaking, and I tried to stop my arm from shaking, and I couldn't do it, because and, and my whole body started shaking. And I felt like the presence of God came, and, um, and I fell off my chair and I was laying on the floor and, and, uh, and then those guys started singing and praising God and I'm just laying there and all of a sudden I felt like, again, the Lord, I felt like the Lord said, uh, first of all, he delivered me of something. I was laying there, I was something I was battling with in my life that I'm not gonna tell you about. But anyway, um, I was laying there and, and I felt like the Lord went like this and he touched my head and I started coughing and coughing and coughing like it was, I had, that's the only time in my life I had like a deliverance. And it was spontaneous, it just happened. And then I was laying there like a wet noodle. I've never told anybody about that part, by the way. You guys are pretty lucky, you know. Yeah. Don't put this in there, no, no. Yeah, anyway, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm laying there and then I see this like image of the Lord walking and he stopped and he turned, this eyes flame of fire and he said, I'm, I'm I'm rising from my throne to precede my coming. There will be a revelation of the Son of Man in your lifetime. You will see my glory revealed, you know? And I, I just started, and I got up, and I just started, I was on my knees, and I just started shouting, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And Ken Wilson was shutting the windows. It was August, because <laughs> was so, I was so loud. I said, He's, his glory's coming, his glory's coming, you know? And then everybody was, started singing and dancing, you know? And then we stopped, and I'm, and I'm sitting on the chair, kind of like, exhausted and then uh, everybody was still praying and then I felt like the Lord said uh, I've never shared this publicly either he said kneel kneel before Ralph like a knight before a king you know and and so I, I'm thinking is this the Lord it was so clear to me and so I Ralph had his eyes closed he was just sitting on the chair and I come crawling up to him and I said hey Ralph and he goes what are you doing and I said I said 
I said, you're, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to pray over me like a knight before a king, you know, and he goes, no, 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 no. And I said, yeah, I think the Lord wants, then Ken Wilson goes, yes, you're supposed to. Ralph goes, no, let's everybody do it. Let's every, everybody, no, you're supposed to do it. He says like that, and then he prayed. So then we started working together shortly after those two events that I described, so, and all this kind of stuff happened, you know. But anyway, um, Ralph and I have talked about that a bunch of times in terms of, um, the clearest thing I heard was, you will see a revelation of the Son of Man in your lifetime. And, you know, is it gonna come through preaching? But, I, but there's all kinds of streams and very mature people who've heard something very similar. And I think it's tied to the prophecy Father Mike and Ralph were giving something like that, a time of glory for the church. Is the, the, little, the reason I told that little beginning of the renewal story, you know, we need to keep hanging in there and keep praying. We need to keep praying for His coming. We need to keep praying for the purification. We need to keep praying for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. We need to keep talking and speaking faith. One of the most important things right now, friends, is this right here. It is the tongue. There's this division everywhere. The devil's sowing division everywhere. And it's coming out of people's pain, people's anger, people's frustration, the breakdown of trust that's happened at very high levels. And so it's important to be able to speak rightly about things, if they have right anger, to have righteous anger and to handle it the right way, but not to get caught up in the noise. There's a prophetic guy in 2010, a guy named Bob Jones. I saw a video of him from 2010. He said in the next decade, the storm, the, there's seven storms are coming. That's kind of the way he described it. But one of the storms he said was, he said, news media, when the time has come, you'll see news media will become terrorists because what they're gonna do is they will terrorize people with crippling fear, day and night. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And man, is that happening everywhere. And I always ask people, how much news are you watching? You know what I mean? Because I just decided, look, all you, really, all you really need to be a responsible citizen, unless you're in the business of politics and other things, is a good half hour or something like that a day. Get good sources, different, you know, different streams to hear what they're saying, and get some summaries of it. But the problem is, you know, like, how many of us are like sitting in TV to watch one new show after another new show after another new show? And, and all of that, and it just creates anxiety, fear, anger, frustration. I hate that guy, you know? And it just, it's not good. It's just not good. And the same thing on Catholic blogs. Be careful. Be careful, you know? And I would say where, we st where Ralph and I are standing and Sister Ann on some of the just divisions that are emerging in the church, we're very clear. This is the time of, you know, we, we, the Catholic Church is the church that God established. The Second Vatican Council is a valid council. All right? I don't know if anybody here doesn't believe that, but it's real, it's valid, all right? There were, you know, 2,500 bishops seated by the Pope. Every document was signed by over 95% or 94% of the bishops. Are there things that need to be handled right in terms of how it's applied? Yes. But all these, all kinds of Catholics are coming up with big divisions around these kinds of things, you know? And so this is part of staying in your lane, staying in the Spirit, stay moving with the Holy Spirit, right? And Pope Francis is, is a validly elected Pope, you know, and all that kind of stuff, so... You know, bingo. It's in the hands of the Lord, right? We've had some bad popes over the years. I'm not saying he's a bad pope. I'm just saying he's nothing like some of them what we had, you know, in the past. So this is God's church. You know, don't let him rule over his church. And we get, we get caught in arguments and issues we can't do a single thing about. And we lose sleep over it. We get mad about it. We waste time talking about it. And it's, it's, Lord, the Lord wants us to govern our tongue, just to stay focused on Him. And it's very important that we speak faith, that we speak confidence in God, that we speak the presence of God, that we speak the Word of God. We are who He says you. If He says it, I believe it. If I confess it, I will see it. 
Say that with me. If he said it, I believe it. If I confess it, I will see it. Right? Okay? He, we need to act and talk like people who really do believe everything's in his hands. It's not like he's, he's totally rattled in heaven and confused and saying, Dad, look at these people. Everything's out of control down there. What are we going to do? He's in charge and confess he's in charge. And the more you confess it, the more you'll live it. The more you'll feel it. Let the words of, you know, so, but if you, if you have to say things on occasion to express your concern, frustrations, do that. Do it in a way that's good. Get it out of your system, but don't live there. I mean, we started in Ann Arbor with some of our friends is saying, okay, three minutes, the big, you know, we get together guys where they're having a meal or something, three to five minutes on the things you want to complain about, and then we're done, all right? And the rest of the time, we're going to get into a different kind of, what's God doing in your life? How's your family doing? You know, what are you drinking? Whatever. And just stay out, because we, we could go three hours, you know, talking about stuff like that. And then you don't, and you just kind of feel worn out afterwards. You're not built up. You're not encouraged, right? Yeah, that's one of the traps. It's a trap. The enemy wants you, yeah, the enemy wants to either get caught up in all those storms and all the anger that's there, or he wants to pick on you and get you to, to not believe what God says about you, you know, to, to believe lies about yourself so that you kind of get worn down and you give up and you give in. He just wants you to lay down your arm. He wants you to quit, you know. And the battle we're in, friends, is the only war in history where the war's actually won already. It's done. It's done. And there's battles between here and there, and all we need to do is just stand, right? Faithfulness means stand on the rock that is Christ. Just stand. He's already handling it all, okay? And, and he's going to put things in front of you. He's going to be with you to help you with whatever you have. Here's an example. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Here's John the Apostle. By the way, I think people think he was in his 90s. Most people think it was the apostle. Some think that might have been another John. But he's in his 90s, so he wasn't done, right? You're not done, you guys, are you? No, we're not done. Age is not an issue. Moses went through some pretty difficult things in his 80s and 90s, right? So, yeah, verse 9. So here he is. He's on the island of Patmos. He's praying on the Lord's Day, and the Spirit of God comes on him. He's the shepherd of these seven churches in Asia Minor. And these churches are struggling, and he's got, he's got concern for his churches. Some of them are in compromise. Two of the churches are struggling with serious sexual immorality, um, idolatry. One church, I think it was Smyrna maybe, the church in Smyrna, uh, they allowed a prophetess um, uh, to, to teach, continue teaching, and she was teaching sexual immorality, right? And I won't read what Jesus, how Jesus handled that situation. You should read it because that's another side of Jesus, I guarantee you, you never thought about. I mean, it just really, he's very, very direct in dealing with the problem. And, but, so these seven churches, and some of them are being martyred. Some are being thrown in prison. They're in very difficult situation. John is their shepherd, and he loves them. So he's praying for them on the Lord's Day. And the Lord gives his answer to them. But here's John talking about himself. And this, we should take this to heart. He said, I, John, verse 9, chapter 1, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus. Okay? John is saying, this apostle, I'm sharing with all of you these things in Jesus. We share together. Listen to what he says. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance. This is what we're sharing. He said, we're sharing in the tribulation. Isn't that interesting? 
Why? John knew. Jesus said, you will have tribulations. So John is saying, here we are, brothers and sisters. We're sharing this together. I know you're in tribulation. I am, in, I am too, number one. Number two, but we're also sharing the kingdom. To share the kingdom is to share the life of the king together. So they're living with the Lord. They know the Lord. They're being strengthened by it. And then patient endurance. Patient endurance. What we need in trial is patient endurance. Right? Be patient. Be patient with God. Be patient with those around you. And endure. It's gonna, we're, we're taking hits. We're, things are happening we don't want to happen. We don't want to have, we don't want to hear any more bad news. We don't want to have to deal with difficult situations. I want America to go back to where it was when it was comfortable and more peaceful. Right? It's probably not going back there for a long time. But you need to, if America's the place, being an American is the place where you get your security because the finances are all working great and your neighborhood's fine and nobody's threatening to cancel you and everybody's nice. If that's your security, a situation like now shakes your security tremendously, right? And people are going to face some really challenging things down the road here in the United States. God, people are going to be put to the test about, are, are you going to stand for the Lord in this situation or are you not? We don't have to go looking for fights. Jesus doesn't want us to go looking for fights, but fights may come to our door. But he wants us to be ready spiritually for whatever comes to our door. So it doesn't, we don't have to worry about what potential difficulties might happen that disrupt that are going to disrupt the plan that we have grooved for ourselves, the plan and the security that we've set up for ourselves because we could lose it all. And why should we think we're different than anybody else, any other Christian that's lived in history? I mean, even in our lifetime, all over the world, people have, have paid a big price. I mean, China, for heaven's sakes, and all kinds of people in China. One guy, a pastor we know about is, is, was uh, 10 times imprisoned. He was a house church pastor. He'd grown lots, I mean, he had over 100,000 people in his church, just house churches all over the place. And he had been beaten in prison. This was the 90s, this was the early 2000s and the like. And then he, the last time he came out, he was very beat up and, and he, he was shaken by it. But his faith is, he kept going out and preaching and, and he told the Lord, he said, but please Lord, don't let him ever do it again. I don't know if I can survive it one more time. But he kept preaching. And bang, 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 one day there was a knock on the door and he knew, he said, I knew. And they came in, it was the police came in to arrest him again. And he says, the only time I shook with fear and trembling, I just said, I can't, I can't. He said, in my heart, I was crying out to the Lord, please, Jesus, don't, I can't go back. I can't, I won't make it, I won't make it, you know. And his wife is there watching them come and take him. And he said, when he crossed the threshold of his door from the inside to the outside, he said, as soon as I crossed the threshold, the Lord said, I'm with you. And he said, uh, he said, a power came through me and a peace rested on me. And I started to pray for the, the men who were arresting me. And he went back in and he, got, he had time in a cold jail again. And he, had, he was lashed and things happened to him, you know. And he got let back out eventually. And he said, I would never change it. I would never change it. The Lord was this close. Remember that bishop from Lithuania I told you about? He was radiant with joy. He was, he was the outlier in Lithuania when I went there. The first time, he was just radiant. He was a cardinal now. He's been made a cardinal, uh, Tar Cardinal Tomkevichus. You can look him up. And he, I asked him one day, I said, I said, your eminence, he wasn't the bishop, uh, uh, cardinal yet. I said, your grace. I said, uh, you, you're so full of joy. And, uh, 
And plus everything you went through, nine years in the gulag and the way they treated you in the gulag. And he goes, oh yes, Peter, but when I was there, when I was there, Jesus was so close I could smell his breath. He was so tangible, he was so present. It was so wonderful. It was wonderful. And he goes, you know what? It's not been like that since I've been out. I haven't had the same level of that experience, you know? He said, it doesn't shake my faith, but he said, he's everything you will need him to be in whatever situation you find yourself in, right? Now there's people in his situation who cracked because they, didn't, they weren't prepared, they weren't living with the Lord before they got arrested in a way that gave them the strength and confidence to be able to lean into him. So every day matters, every minute matters, every day matters right now in terms of just, so think about this time as a time of preparation for if these are harder time, hard times, harder times are coming, all right? They may not come to your door, but they're coming to people you know. And so pray in these times that the Lord give you the right disposition. So. We're share, he said, we're sharing in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance. This is the normal Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. That's what it is. That's what he's summarizing right here. So Jesus comes to him, and he reveals to him, Jesus, hears his cry, as John is crying out for these churches, and guess what his, the Lord's answer is? How does God answer John, who's dealing with real critical challenges, right? His answer is this. Um, he heard a voice to say, write what you see. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. That's the Lord, right? He's in the golden lampstands. What are the lampstands? They're the churches, the seven churches. Where's Jesus? Right in the middle of the seven churches. That's where he is, right? And it says he's clothed in a long robe and it goes all the way down. His eyes are flaming fire and out of his mouth issues his sword. John is getting a revelation of the glorified Christ of the Lord. And then he says, when I saw him, I fell to the ground as though dead. But he laid, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death in Hades. And he said, the seven stars of the seven bishops, leaders, they're in the palm of his hand. What is the consolation that God gives a pastor whose churches are in critical need, they're up against it, there's battles going on. It, did he say, look, I'll, get you, I'll, I'll put you in cahoots with, with a couple senators in Rome. They'll come, they'll make sure nobody affects what's going on. See if you can find some dough, you can pay off some guys and help, you know. What does he do? What does John need? He needs a revelation of the lordship and majesty of Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord. And he said, you don't have to be afraid of anything because look at me, I'm dead. I was dead. You're afraid of dying. I was dead and look at me. I'm alive in glory. This is where you're going, son. This is what it's all about. This world is about dying. You gotta die in this world. But first we need to die to ourselves by becoming radical disciples of Jesus. I did a video on YouTube two weeks ago. It said, settle the death question. You know, settle it. We're going to die. But the disciples died. Paul says, my life is no longer my own. The life, my life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. To me, life is Christ. What does Christ want? That's it. That's what life is. To me, life means Christ, period. And to die is gain. Hey, how often do you say that to yourself? How, long do you, how often do you say that to other people? 
to say to die is gain. It's okay to die and mourn for those we love who die, but Christians shouldn't stay there or we shouldn't fear ours. We need, that's Paul's lion-like heart of faith that said literally I'd rather go home to die is total gain for my life, right? Come Holy Spirit. Lord, help us with that. Lord, help us settle the death question. May we be dead to ourselves now. St. Francis of Assisi, he, when the brothers said, would you, Francis, write how it all started, and he didn't do it for the longest time, and he's very sick toward the end of his life, and he decides to pen what happened. And this is what he wrote, really simply. He goes, the Lord led me to the lepers, and they made me sick. Remember, remember that trauma he had? He, when, he, when he first met the lepers, he vomited, and he, he, just, he was repulsed by them. And it was his living, you know, he, he was, and so he walked away, and then he said, then Jesus made them sweet to me. What repulsed him, what, he just, ah, and he wanted to get away from them. He's afraid of touching them and being around them. He was afraid of dying, he was afraid of getting sick, he couldn't stand the smell or anything like that. And he saw how much he was concerned about himself, and then he said, then Jesus made them sweet to me. And he went back and he lived with them. And then he said, then I tarried for a while and I left the world. He died to the world. He was in the world, but was not of the world. He was living, and many people who wrote about him, about his time, he's like he was a man who was already living in heaven. He was so free, he was so absolutely free. So we have some room to grow in freedom, don't you think? And the Lord wants us to keep growing in freedom. That's a good thing to pray for. Jesus, help me leave the world. Francis impacted the world he was in. He had to leave the world to impact it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? We die to this world, and we live for the next. And it gives us a kind of freedom to love radically like he did, and to live in the Spirit. That's so beautiful. Love it. Okay. Now let's go to Romans 1, or excuse me, 1 Peter. We're still talking about hope. We're still talking about um, the right perspective now as I, as I finish here, what, how we want to walk through these days, stuff that's been extremely encouraging to me. So 1 Peter chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3. Maybe you guys know this by heart. How many of you can, can read with me? Let's say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By his great mercy... We have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that's a mouthful. But here's how he writes a letter to a persecuted church. These people were under trial and persecution. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's rejoicing. His great mercy by his mercy, we were born anew. Let's say it again. I am? I am. I'm born again. Born again. I've been born again. Say it like they do down south. I'm born again. That's right. I'm born again. Yeah. I'm born anew to what? To a living hope. Not to wishful thinking. I, I was born into, isn't that an interesting way to say it? My new birth is a new way of living and it's a new way of living in a certain hope. That's what it is. Doesn't that make sense? That's what he's talking about. 
And then now he goes on to talk about its power. Listen to this. He said, born anew to a living hope, how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to what? To an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Say with me, I have an inheritance in Christ. And I live by hope because I'm born again by the Spirit who gives me hope. All right? This helps to, to talk in the afternoon after lunch like this too, because it's easy to fall asleep. Feel free to fall asleep, actually. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's okay with me. He goes, but you, he said, what's my inheritance? It's imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading. Say it with me. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Isn't that good to know? Because guess what? Everything perishes, everything is defiled, and everything fades in this world. But you've been given something that won't fade, and it cannot be defiled, and it will never perish. Woohoo! Isn't that great? I mean, this is your possession, friends. This is real. I mean, this is better than all of Jeff Bezos's dough and Bill Gates's dough and Mark Zuckerberg's dough. You can have it all. It's nothing compared to this treasure. That stuff's all going to burn in the end, right? It's just not. It's not. It's worthless. You can't buy the kingdom. It's a gift, right? It's already been purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Oh my gosh, this God's plan is so amazing. So your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and guess what? Not only is it those things, but it's kept in heaven for you. Somebody's watching over the inheritance. It says, who by God's power are guarded now through faith. Faith. Faith is powerful, right? That inheritance is guarded by your trust. The Father's guarding it, but do you trust your Father? Do you trust Him? Is He faithful? Do you think He's a good banker? Do you think He's going to keep it, he's going to keep it there? That He's not going to sell your room to someone else in the castle in heaven, right? He, Jesus is saying, you can trust Him! No matter what horrible thing happens in your life, you can trust my Father. He is the definition of faithfulness and fidelity. And everything he designed for you when he created you in the palm of his hand, he will bring to fruition if you believe. The mind of an apostle. These guys, their minds, this is what, you know, the Bible says you need a renewed mind. This is what a renewed mind sounds like. Right here. That's what it is. That's why this word, just let it wash over you. Father Francis Martin used to say, you know, the mind is like a sponge. You take a sponge, you throw it into a mud puddle, and you pick it up, what does it got? It's a muddy sponge, right? So that's what the human brain is like, and our memory. And the word of God, he said, is like a crystal clear, pure mountain stream that you put that sponge under, and you just rinse it out. He said, the word of God rinses out your mind. It renews your mind. It gives you a fresh spiritual way of thinking, right? And if you don't read the Word of God, you don't know that you've got a lot of stinking thinking in your head because it just sounds normal because everybody's there. But you start reading this, you say, I don't talk like this. And the reason I don't talk like this is I don't probably believe like this, 
Really, you know what I mean? In a way that it's so convicting, so convincing that it comes out of my mouth. And I want to tell people about it. Right? Father Francis Martin. You remember him? Remember Father Francis? Great biblical scholar. He's, he's with the Lord, I'm sure. Such a beautiful man. He says, who by God's power guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? So a salvation, salvation, total healing, total freedom, new life is what's awaiting you. And it says, in this you rejoice. So they're rejoicing in these things in their life. Like we were rejoicing today in our, you know, with our pom-poms and all that kind of stuff, you know. That's one way to rejoice. In this you rejoice, though for a little while you may suffer various trials. They were suffering a lot. There were martyrs in these communities. Persecution. He's saying it's normal. It's normal in this world. Jesus said it. You know, it's going to happen. So don't let it disrupt you. Don't let it disturb you. Don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it cause you to live in panic and fear and anger and frustration and loneliness and all, all that. Get above that. You can by believing in the Word of God and repenting. Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been talking as if you don't even exist. I'm talking as, I talk as if the devil's in control or some politician is in control. You're in control of my life. You already have invested in me at such a level. You're so, you're so committed to me. Why would I ever think I'm alone? Well, I'm sorry, Lord, because I do. And it's, he, he's okay if you talk to him that way. But you got to get it out of your system and say, Lord, please, I want to sound like Peter and Paul and Timothy and the rest of these guys. And then he goes on. So they're suffering trials. He goes, why are you suffering these trials? So the genuineness of your faith, genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire. He's saying, look, you, we think gold is valuable, but your faith is much more valuable, Peter's saying, than gold. And just as gold is refined by fire, your life needs to be refined by fire either in this life or in the next life in some way. Because we're going to get purified before we see the Father. Jesus is totally committed to bringing us one by one before the presence of the Father purified and ready to go. And saints show us that a lot of that can happen on this earth if you go all in and you yield to this and you obey it and you walk in it. And then whatever trials come, you just receive them in the Lord and you allow it to purify you. And you understand, look, I already have, people want to possess the gold or cling to their gold. You said, I already got the gold, it's my faith. My faith is the treasure. And if the Lord is allowing this trial to come into my life, he wants to purify that faith in me. So I don't have to rely just on my feelings. Like this is one of the things charismatics we have to be careful about. By God's grace, we've had the part of the wave of the spirit that's come across the world is an experiential knowledge of the presence of God. Not just here, but in the heart. And sometimes it's touching and emotional and moving and wonderful and it's encouraging. And that's great. He loves that. He's, Jesus has emotions, you know. David was the great king, the great professor of Jesus' emotions in the Psalms, you know. So that's good. But if you get too attached to the feelings, when the feelings ain't there, then he ain't there in our, in our experience, you know, in our mind. And that's immature. And he wants to purify and test that. 
because I'm sure that Archbishop Tom Kevichus had some tough days, you know, that he had to stand where the Lord came. You know what I mean? And tough days, it wasn't probably all easy all the time. So God wants to purify your faith so that your faith is not based on feeling, but on fact, on the very word of God. That's what you have faith in. Not I'm experiencing him, I'm not experiencing him. No, I know. I know who he says I am. I know what he has promised me. And I'm gonna, you know, build my, look at Mother Teresa's life for heaven's sakes, you guys. What a mystery to that life. You know, 35 years in the dark night she had, you know. She had no affective, no affective experience of the Lord during all those years. Isn't that unbelievable? It was part of her vocation. She prayed for it. Jesus answered the prayer. He said, are you sure you want that? Because there's a purification, there's a, it's a purer faith, actually. You know what I mean? But not all of us are called to that. Not all of us can handle that. It's not meant to be that way. It was a particular call for her. But the Lord does want, look at him, how much, how much affective feeling did he have on the cross? The greatest act of love that saved humanity. Father, why have you forsaken me? Everybody's forsaken me. He's aching, right? So she wanted to identify more with that even, you know? We're almost done, just about there. He said, okay, tested by fire, so that may redound, it will redound to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you, to the degree that we let ourselves be purified and that we are able to exercise on this earth, this kind of faith, we, we kept saying yes to the purifications that came, the ones that are discerned from the Lord, and we do it and we, and we patiently endure, and we endure with faith, and we let our faith be purified, what's gonna happen is it's gonna redound to the praise and the glory of Jesus when he returns. You're gonna shine, you're gonna be a sign of his power and his faithfulness, and that's one of the ways you're gonna be able to express your love for him. And he's gonna let everybody see the people that loved him. Do you know what I mean? Because you're gonna be a living, you trusted me, you trusted me, Richard. You trusted me, Mary. Look, Father, look at her glow. Look at, what's, look at her faith. And, and that faith is going to be seen by everybody. Isn't that great? Yeah, boy, I can't wait. And then it says, but without having seen him, you love him. John has seen him. John knew him. John laid his head on his chest. And John's marveling. Or Peter, excuse me, Peter's there at the last supper. Peter's marveling. And Peter's saying, wow, you've never even seen him. And you love him. And he goes on to say, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So you are exercising faith and you're exercising love toward God, the first commandment. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. What? What characterizes these people who are being persecuted? Some are being martyred. They got no power, they got no influence. Unutterable and exalted joy. Is that challenging? It's challenging to me. But it's beautiful, isn't it? It's good if it pricks us a little bit. That's good. 
you know, so we can awake and say, Lord, but rejoice in it, what God can do and what God wants to do in us in whatever circumstance. Now, think about it if people in, during COVID this last year, if the main, one of the main things they said about the Catholic Church was, you know, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in some of the stuff they're doing. You know, I don't believe in some of their rules and commandments. And I don't believe what they say about sex, blah, blah, blah. But holy cow, those people, they are filled with unutterable and exalted joy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard not to like those people. Or it's hard not to trust those people. There is something different in them. And you know, when I first think, I was, well, maybe they're just high or something. Or they're just dizzy, they're goofy people. You know what I mean? They're just weirdos, you know? And they're out of touch with, they're living in denial. I say, no, as I got to know them, they're not actually living in denial. They're pretty dialed in people. But they're drinking something I'm not drinking. I said, yeah, they're drinking a new wine, buddy. The Holy Spirit was filling a persecuted community of Christians with unutterable and exalted joy. They had each other, and they had each other in the Lord together. Isn't that great? You see why the Father has to cut off some of the branches? There's a lot of people who come to church that don't want to be at church. You know what I mean? And they're grumpy, and they're like, I want to get the hell out of here as soon as I can, pardon my French, you know? Or Father speak, Father gives a 10-minute homily, 11-minute homily instead of a 7-minute homily. And it's like, really, Father? Seriously? You windbag, you know what I mean? It's like, come on. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? And so, what the Father wants and knows what the world needs is weak and broken people who know they're forgiven and they know they're loved and they know they're born again and they know they have an inheritance and it's changing the way they speak, the way they worship, the way they relate to people. You know what I mean? Isn't God good? Let's just pray for a minute together. Lord, we want to be those people who, when you come again, the faith that you're working in us will redound to your praise and your glory. Lord, we dream about, we pray about the moment that when you come, it's not about us, it's about you. Lord, we want to radiate that day. We want your glory to shine through us and for you to be praised at the wonder of what you've accomplished in us through faith. I pray for all my brothers and sisters here today. They're here because they love you. They're here because they're your followers. They believe in you. And I know this room, brothers and sisters, just filled with people who've been faithful to the Lord for many, many years, and He cherishes it and He values it. And you're the kind of folk, you stay on that path, you're going to radiate just the way Peter described it. 
And Father, we give you our burdens today. Our physical bodies, our emotions, our mind, our children, our families, our grandchildren, our businesses, our church. We give it all to you, Lord. We entrust it all to you. Lord, I ask you to bring your healing power on my brothers and sisters today and on my life, that you'd heal our minds first, renew us, wash over our minds, refresh us, grant to us that fresh spiritual way of thinking. Lord, and purify faith, hope, and love in us. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your power come. Yes, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to work your wonders through my brothers and sisters and signs and wonders to be worked in your name. Continue to stir the prophetic word among them. Strengthen their worship and praise. Lord, I ask that you open doors in the cities to the sick and the broken, the lost, the forgotten, we can't get to places, Lord, without you opening doors, those you want us to love and to bring your spirit, your tender forgiveness and mercy. Open the doors, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.